Hello and welcome to A History of Christian Theology. My name's Chad Kim. With me this week will be a conversation with Tom Velasco and Trevor Adams, where we work through some of the Christological controversies of the late 4th and early 5th centuries. Um, if you're just coming to this podcast, know that we did do one other earlier podcast on Apollinaris of Laodicea, um, and so we talked a little bit through some of the, and, and Theodore of Mopsuestia, so we talked through some of the early figures in this controversy. Uh, we are now moving into Nestorius, uh, and Cyril, uh, Cyril of Alexandria, and we're going to talk through their roles in the controversy. So this is our second of three um, on this topic. And uh, so the first couple minutes, though, of this podcast were lost uh, or, well, were not recorded very well. Um, there was something wrong with Trevor's mic. So um, the, there, we do make reference to a conversation that we had beforehand, and we had to cut some of that out. But there's still uh, the majority of the podcast is still there. It's just a couple minutes right at the beginning. Um, so I hope this conversation will be beneficial to you. Um, I don't know how many people listen to my long intros, but if you do, over on Facebook, uh, we've been posting a little bit about stuff that we would like to do in the future um, and trying to sort of get some input from our listeners. So uh, feel free to check that out. We've asked uh, you know, whether or not the listeners prefer to hear the conversations between Tom, Trevor, and Chad, or if they prefer the, conver- the, the sort of conversations with the authors um, and uh, just trying to get a feel for uh, what what our audience wants to hear. Um, also, if you have any suggestions about future topics, um, I think we're going to do one on hope because that's something that Trevor has thought a lot about, um, and that will be coming up over the Christmas break. But we'd like to do a few more, possibly on the development of Scripture um, and possibly on uh, just a few other things. So uh, feel free to go over to our Facebook page, uh, history.com, or uh, facebook.com slash uh, history of Christian theology, um, and, and check that out. Um, yeah, so we do have a few more conversations coming up. I've got a conversation with Brad East about Scripture and the church, um, as well as some plans for some more conversations between Tom, Trevor, and Chad. So uh, after this long introduction, I want to say thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, so let me tie up as a bow here. So we've been kind of doing prolegomena, uh, that is sort of like introductory conversations, um, trying to help us think through some of the difficulty of these various words. So um, also just, I mean, I guess, you know, this will probably end up at a podcast somewhere. Um, I have just recorded an episode with a guy called Dr. Jordan Wood, uh, and he wrote on Maximus the Confessor. Now, so the conversation started from Maximus. Maximus is after, chronologically, uh, the works that we're working through. Uh, so we're, okay, so we're what we've been trying to do in the last two episodes at least uh, is think through the Christological controversies. So what you've heard to this point has been sort of some conversation around the Christological controversies and as they're used in the Latin, as they're used in the English, and as they come to be deployed by someone like Maximus. So Maximus thinks of himself as an inheritor, as a, as a pro-Chalcedonian, as, a, as one in favor of Chalcedon, uh, or Chalcedon, Chalcedon is a dinosaur, um of of calcedon uh and and so but anyway what we're trying to do is kind of work through how do we get this definition of fully god and fully man um and and so that's that's the kind of thing like most people uh reflex who is you know who is the son of god or jesus christ or you know how like what what do we think about this fully god fully man most of us kind of know that uh designator so we talked a little bit in the previous episode 
about Theodore of Mopsuestia and Apollinaris of Laodicea. And both of them uh, are essentially condemned as heretics in the 6th century. Um, we, we don't really use their theology um, as... Um, as definitive, but, uh, but we, you know, one of the interesting things about that previous episode was how much when we read them, it was even hard to parse when they went astray. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, fifth century, right, Chad? Four hundreds when they were condemned, weren't, weren't they? Uh, yeah, was sorry. That Ephesus and Chalcedon? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, um, no, no, so we're right. trying to, we're trying to get back, get into that conversation. So we're going to move forward in time. Uh, so we're moving on from Apollinaris and Theodore. Uh, and so we're going to talk about Cyril and Nestorius. Um, and so we're going to look at their kind of exchanges as some of these um, definitions make their way into our theology. And I want to hear what Trevor has to say. I just want to make one more general point uh, that also when, when my episode comes out with, with Jordan – uh, one of the this is one point that he makes, which I still think is is fundamental to understanding why this stuff matters. Which is, it's a weird thing in a sense that Christians think you should worship Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is a human, <laughs> um, and why is it that we worship someone who we call and say is fully human, is absolutely and totally and one hundred percent human? Yeah, I worship a human. And that human walked in Nazareth, and I worship that human as yeah. God. Yeah. Wait, what? Um, and so it's it's that fundamental question that, as Jordan rightfully reminded me, is it like when you say it like that, it feels strange. But we don't recognize that asymmetry in most of our on most of our Sunday worship. We don't think about that because we're only thinking about the divine part when we worship Jesus. We're thinking about the divine Jesus most of the time. Um, and so how do we do that? How do we make that move, uh, where I won't worship Trevor, I won't worship Tom, but I will worship Jesus of Nazareth. Um, <laughs> and so how is it possible to make that move? I wanted to see whether or not, cause I remember last time I asked something like, yeah, so what exactly is the hypostatic union? And they were kind of like, eh. and then so I wanted to know both what was up with that, and then also whether or not, in terms of like official doctrines released by organizations such as the Roman Catholic Church, and also whether or not, um, or how they characterized, I should say, uh, people like Nestorius um, and the like. So. It turns out that, yeah, like, it's definitely called a mystery. So this is, like, this is affirmed in some sense that it's a mystery. Um, and that, you know, you really, obviously, as we've noticed, and as uh, as Chad has talked about with all these words we're using, the, the big thing <laughs> you have to affirm is, you know, you need two natures. You need one person. This ends up being, like, very important. Um and hence why Apollinaris was sort of rejected was at least he's accused of one nature, though I was sort of like, maybe that you could still have two natures there anyway. But uh, Nestorius, this is the phrase used on New Advent. So I, I found this. So this is what Nestorius is accused of. And I, w I actually had a hard time like discerning this was what was going on, though, of course, 
I, I believe that this is what was going on, I suppose, because much smarter people than me have read this, but it says, the union of the two natures, according to Nestorius, is not physical, but moral. A mere juxtaposition and state of being, the word, capital, like the second person of Trinity, the word indwells in Jesus, like as God indwells in the just. The indwelling of the word in Jesus is, however, more excellent than the indwelling of God in the just man by grace, for the indwelling of the word purposes the redemption of all mankind and the most perfect manifestation of the divine activity. As a consequence, Mary is a mother of Christ, Christokos, not the mother of God, Theotokos, which is also sort of what this debate, as we're about to read, sort of hinged on, or at least it was a, one of the questions of which... Um, led to this debate that we're about to read about. So that was Nestorius, uh, at least according to the RCC. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's not really fair. Uh, he does not yeah. use the word moral union. I mean, the word moral yeah. union is just sticking in my craw because um, yeah, that's same. not what he... I don't even so, know what that would mean exactly, uh, 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 but it's like a union by – like so if we think about the root word amore, a custom, a habit, a uh, a sort of an action or something, uh, I don't really – but that's not – but even that's not at all related to anything that Nestorius says. Now, it is what – so Nestorianism is sort of uh, pu pushed away because people interpreted him to say – uh, that the uh, the union of divinity and humanity created a, a third prosopon, created a third person. So Nestorius is, is oftentimes it's said that Nestorius holds to a prosopic union, that is a union according to a person. Now, to some extent, that's not wrong, right? Like there's a sense in which that's almost right. Um, like we do think that there's something about the conjunction well, and actually that word conjunction is rejected as well. Uh, but the union uh, of uh, divinity and humanity in Jesus Christ is in the manner of a person. But the the fear is that that turns like so then uh, then Nestorius seems to talk about the person of the divinity and the person of humanity. And so it seems like you're starting to say three persons um, and three sons. And that's where that's where it goes awry. So if it implies that there's three different seats of 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 unity um, or or something, uh, then then that's where it's problematic. So yeah, I need, they... I'll need a little bit more explanation on what you mean by three, Chad. The way I read Nestorius is in some parts his language is very orthodox because he says there's one person, Jesus, and two natures, which is what the definition of Chalcedon says. He asserts that Theodore of Mopsuestia does as well. However, both Theodore and Nestorius speak of Jesus as being a, like, it, they don't use this language, but the way they talk, it's as if God the Logos, God the Word, is a separate person from Jesus the man, and they're united. But they speak of them as separate people, even though they don't assert that, like, like he says, it's one man, two natures, but every time they talk about the word and the way, not just talk about, but the way they argue, they argue for the distinctness of God, the word from the, the man, Jesus. But I'm not picking up on, what do you mean by the third, a third person? I'm not following that. So 
I don't. Let me see if I can find a quote here. Well, so the um, let's see. Uh, he says, "Am I the only one who calls Christ twofold? Does he not call himself both the destroyable temple and God who raises up? And if it was God who was destroyed, and let the blasphemy be shifted to the head of Arius, the Lord would have said, destroy this God in three days, I will raise him up.' If God died when consigned to the grave, the gospel saying, why do you seek to kill me, a man?" is meaningless uh that was from the first from the sermon on the theotokos uh yeah. so but so the 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 idea the 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 accusation the accusation not necessarily specifically what nestorius says the accusation against nestorius is not this that he calls him twofold but is that by implication it becomes a threefold by implication um if you have if you ascribe too much distinction uh to the the god and the human um that are only united that that, that whatever the unity is is a third thing I, oh, whatever I've makes i've never read that so right, yeah so that's it that it's jesus the man that's the thing and then it's god the word united with that in, in the body of that man but I've never heard any. I've not heard an accusation either that it's three. I've so, never seen three on that subject. Yeah, yeah. So that's but the prosopic unit union would sort of say if that's another person, that's like it's three. That's why, or, that, or that's why they don't like the phrase prosopic union, is so it sounds like a third third thing. Maybe I could put it that way. What's the third thing that's not the Jesus, unity? The man, but the unity itself. Mm. So, I just, so yeah, I don't it, what you're saying with that. Well, so if you say there is the there is the son of of the son, the logos, that's one person. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we say there is the man, that's two persons. Well, what brings them together? Or is it accidental that they're together? Is it does it just so happen that the divinity brushes by humanity at this moment? No, yeah, there's that some. Like an, that's an operation, not a thing. And I, I, my big thing really here is, is that I don't know what the third thing would be. And I've never, both with accusation or in the writing itself, seen any reference to a third thing. Like in the response, so, Cyril, doesn't, Cyril doesn't say anything about a third thing. And I haven't so, in my um, study come across the third. So in the, in the first writing that we have from Cyril on page 133 at the top, he says, The Logos united to himself in his hypostasis, flesh, enlivened by a rational soul, and in this way became a human being and has been designated son of man. He did not become a human being simply by act of will or good pleasure any more than he did so by merely taking on a person. So it's not merely taking on. It's a, and this is where we get the in his hypostasis. This is where we get the hypostatic union, right? This is, uh, this is when we're beginning to start seeing the orthodox position of a hypostatic union um, in the writing of Cyril. Um, so that is one. Um, so if we go down on that page on one thirty three. Uh, since, however, the Logos was born of a woman after he had, for us and for our salvation, united human reality hypostatically to himself, he is said on this ground to have had a fleshly birth. It is not the case that, first of all, an ordinary human was born of the Holy Virgin and the Logos descended upon him subsequently. 
On the contrary, since the union took place in the very womb, he is said to have undergone a fleshly birth by making his own birth of the flesh, which belonged to him. Uh, so this is Cyril's argument. This is what is becomes the orthodox position. It's yeah. the hypostatic union. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so the way that Nestor Nestorius will say it's a prosopic union, he does not want to call it a hypostatic union. I, I got that. And he also he did use the word conjunction. And um, again, the splitting hairs over words like like uh, for sure, Cyril rejects conjunction and wants union. I still just don't see where a third is. I mean, I, I don't want to belabor this point. I just have never heard that, seen it, or can can comprehend where why is there that a, a is that a contemporary a is that a contemporary uh, uh, it could be yeah it's, it's just not something I've come across yeah yeah um, I mean I'm taking that from McGuckin um, so I yeah I I don't think Cyril's actually accusation is that it's a third person but that's a la that's a later no yes yeah, so that's a later uh, ascription I think it might come from. Uh, is it Constantinople when or, when all of his uh, writings are destroyed? Because um, Nestorius isn't like fully and heartily like you know eviscer uh, 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 not eviscerated, um, expunged from the historical record until later. Because um, yeah. actually Nestorius, uh, so this is um, there's another um, theologian um, Francis Young who writes a good pretty good book on this, and as she points out, essentially Nestorius comes to kind of agree with Cyril by the end of all of this. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that Nestorius is uh, condemned as a heretic later on is more of a misreading of later Nestorians. Like Nestorius kind of, he's kind you know, he just, he just is just like Theodoret and just like others, like some others. He just doesn't want to use this phrase hypostatic union because he says that's what um, Apollinaris called it. Apollinaris wanted to talk about a hypostatic union, and I'm concerned if we call it that um, because that makes it seem like one being. So in the mind of Nestorius, if you call it a, a, a hypostatic union, not only did a heretic say that, um, not only did Apollinaris say that, but in, in, in his mind, that's like saying there just one was one being um, and, and that, 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 that there's like there's no difference um between the human and the divine but there's one like it's almost like saying one usia um that that the son of man and the son of god is one usia is one yeah. being um and we don't want to is one one ground of being or something we don't want to say that um yeah. and so that is what nestorius is concerned if you say kata hupastasin uh uh is is the is the greek if you say that that's what it sounds like to Nestorius. And so, yeah. Cyril, so Cyril, in his response to Nestorius, has to say, well, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it. I'm saying there is usia and there, in, there is fusis. There is the instantiation of yeah. the nature. Um, well, and even so... The, even the way you're describing it, like, even the way you're describing it, I would have a, a reaction against that because I do want to say there's one being. So I don't only say this because... Again, we're running into this problem with the meaning of these words. Because I do want to say there is one being in Jesus, just one, right? And uh, But I also want to say there are two natures. There's the God nature and there's the human nature that, that both 
So again, this is a change. This is the word being and nature. So I, in my English language, do not feel comfortable and would think of it as heresy to refer to Jesus as more than one being. But I would also think that he has two natures and I would think of it as heresy to say he only has one nature, right? So even in English, like like you, as far as I can tell, we're just using the word being like nature because I would never say that there are two beings in Jesus because that is what actually it seems like Nestorius is saying because the way that, and, and this is like, it's weird because when I read Nestorius, because if you remember last time we recorded, I said that I had a hard time understanding the difference between the Nestorian view, or I should say at the time, Theodore of Mopsuestia's view and the Orthodox view, Cyril's view, because they both are saying there's one person, Jesus, and there are two natures. They're both saying that like Theodore asserts that, um, Nestorius asserts that. And then the only thing I could dig up at that time, having not read this, you know, work that we just read on, on, uh, uh, Nestorius was that he rejected the term Theotokos, right? God bearer for Mary, which for me, being a Protestant, don't get me, I mean, I just am not that concerned with, with Mary receiving certain titles, I guess. Um, so it's like, I really had to dig into that. But then when I read Nestorius, I'm like, oh, and, and by the way, Theodore of Mopsuestia too. My big problem with both of them is, is the way they write, they just speak and again, we're getting back into these ambiguous terms, but in English. So it's infinitely worse when you're trying to think of all these Greek terms and these English terms. They speak as if there's God the Word who is a distinct person from Jesus the man. And that God the Word is joined together with Jesus the man in his body. And actually, Ch uh, Trevor, thinking about what you just said, because Chad, I was with you 100% when in that article says that it's a moral uh, joining on his view. I was like, what could that possibly mean? Like, I, and I've never heard that term. I've never seen, certainly Nestorius didn't mention, at least in this writing. But yes. it did define it a little bit when you read that. It said, the it's like when God inhabits the life of the just man, which I guess I could see that. But even Nestorius would acknowledge that there's a difference in the way that Jesus is inhabited by the Logos well, from yeah. the way that we are right that, i mean I, I said i read that part too he, he oh i didn't i didn't more, catch that i think i got hung up he says but, that his however a more excellent indwelling of god yeah oh i did catch that yeah, yeah more excellent yeah. but i would more excellent doesn't seem to do it justice right there is, seems it's to be the most perfect manifestation of the divine activity yeah, like it seems like there's metaphysically something different in in the the union of 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 the hypostatic union in Jesus than what happens to us. Well, but I, nonetheless, I can appreciate that because the way that Nestorius speaks is as if there's a second being running around and he wouldn't use that word, but running around in the head of Jesus. And that I reject. Well, so, and I, so I wanted I think, to, sorry, I just wanted to read a little bit of the latter half of that exact paragraph from the new advent, because this is what this is. I basically, I wanted to pose this as a question, like, which you've all basically already answered, which is, I didn't read that, but <laughs> I wanted to ask, like, did you guys read the same thing as me? Because are, are are, did the Catholics read the same thing as us? Because he says right here, this is about Nestorius, he, he forcibly denied that Christ was two persons, but proclaimed him as one person. Sounds good so far. 
made up of two substances. Sounds I'm fine. Good. I'm I'm yeah. not the oneness of the person was, however, only moral and not at all physical. Hold on. I, first of all, already I'm already tripped up because I'm going. How would it ever have been physical? I mean, it's got to be something. It's got to be beyond the physical already. So what do you mean? I I don't know. Anyway, despite whatever Nestorius said as a pretext to save himself from the brand of heresy, he continually and explicitly denied the hypostatic union. The that union, which Chad recognized, right? That union of physical entities and of substances which the church defends in Jesus. He affirmed a juxtaposition in authority dignity, energy, relation, and state of being. And he maintained that the fathers of Nicaea had nowhere said that God was born of the Virgin Mary. So that is apparently where they they take issue. But yeah, again, this word moral comes up. The, the oneness of the person was only moral. I am really, I am now more confused than I ever was and I am one of these people who I just consider myself orthodox. I know I can say the creeds, but I'm willing to fully admit I don't understand some things. I do I not. Be arrogant. I just wouldn't listen to that article. <laughs> I yeah, mean, I... I just wouldn't even listen to it because I don't think this needs to be all that confusing. That that language is just weird. But let's like even the original issue. Like let's just like think about this. So we want to affirm two and see we've already we've actually already noticed that we have some different usages even among us because it seems like you want to say being and maybe person are more similar words than being and substance i guess no, I, no i'd I say being tell. and essence are the same oh being, being and essence essence, substance person is a different word oh but then so, you want so there jesus to be... is one person okay but he has two essences or substance. Oh, I thought you said you were uncomfortable with saying there's two beings. Oh, sorry. No, you're right. Being I have the word being is different in that in that context. Yeah. If I say that Jesus is two beings, yeah, that's that's not right. So now what do you mean by being then? Well, I don't know, but just think about how English <laughs> works. I mean, just think about how English works. What do you think if you think of two beings? You think of I mean, yeah, you're right. I, I realize now you were right to begin with. I do think of it, at least as it's used there, as being more closely connected with personhood, but it doesn't have to be personhood. Here are two beings, my phone and this thing. Those are two beings, hmm. right? So that was, okay. When, when I made my original statement, I was trying to speak more idiomatically in English, where we don't want to say that Jesus' human being is different from his divine being in some you know on some sense like there there has to be some there has to be some oneness uh to those things they're not accidental they could not have been otherwise uh and and actually this is a point that jordan makes that's kind of interesting they're not reducible um like you can't you, you know and so there's there's some sense in which that's maximally both of those things um and and so uh yeah so anyway that's when i said the problem of being that's what i meant it's like it feels yeah. i think it felt like there were two in you know yeah like you you pointed up a phone and a card there were two those are two beings um my, my uh you know my dog and my chickens are two beings or you know uh i'll pick one of my 
you know, Aretha, we name them after female singers. Uh, so we have Aretha <laughs> and Paul, uh, a chicken and a dog. And those are two beings. Um, but if they were, you know, if what, what would I mean if I said they're hypostatically joined? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, and I, the only point I was making there was just how confusing it is in our own language as well. Because even as you're sitting yeah. here, and, and this is based off of the point you just made, Trevor, I do typically, and this just shows that I need to spend more time thinking about the Trinity. When talking about the Trinity, I say, oh, there's one being, three persons. But yeah. I cannot say that about Jesus when I in saying that there's one person, two beings. I can't. That's not yeah. right. Not the way I use the word being, right? So I that can. means I really probably shouldn't refer to God if I'm following the Trinitarian Nicene formula as one being three persons, there's got a essence I feel comfortable with nature. I feel comfortable with, but I mean, well, I feel comfortable saying being, but that's, I'm sure this is a conceptual thing. That's the only point I'm making here yeah, is yeah. the way I use the words and the, the conceptual picture or image that I have. And sorry, by the way, for holding the phone and the <laughs> card up without pointing out what they were. I just did it. And they're, of course, anybody listening is going to go, what is he doing? <laughs> no, I can I can hear a correct and incorrect being. That's the thing. So I can hear yeah. it both ways. Because I can hear a sense in which there was obviously yeah. a way in which, obviously, the second person of the Trinity existed before the human being, Jesus Christ, was ever born. Yeah. And so there was one being that then had to be union, had formed a union with, like, a, an actual in-mattered stuff that had yeah. as is per tradition a its own rational soul in some sense so in that way i can hear yeah, we sound like apollinarius <laughs> right <laughs> well <laughs> except for the way. fact that i i just there confessed that that thing had its own rational soul apparently right so apollinarius yeah. the rational soul just is jesus how yes. that's not still two natures i don't know i'm yeah. still not convinced apollinarius was a heretic or at least well, I, maybe he was. Or let me, let me be clear. Maybe he yeah. was because he did say one nature, and that's what got him condemned. Yeah, I just well, that's part of he, that's he part of the problem approved. with all these things. All these terms are so, man. I mean, it's like they're so every single like Apollinarius, uh, Nestorius, Cyril, uh, Eutyches. Who I guess we didn't read any of Eutyches, although we read that's, Pope Leo's response yeah. to Eutyches. All of these guys just, man, they just seem to really be trying to understand something that is mysterious and really hard to understand. And 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 if you interpret any number of words that they use just slightly differently, just a slightly different tweak, then you basically have landed on the same thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, all right. So, so I think, I mean, uh, I, I guess I could put a link up to this in the podcast. Um, but there's, a, like I said, there's another good book, uh, Francis Young from Nicaea to Chalcedon. Um, and, and that's helpful in kind of distinguishing some of these things. But one thing that Young points out is that uh, recent scholarship has basically absolved Nestorius of anything like heresy after the, Cal after the Acts of Chalcedon. Like essentially, it re Nestorius does not read like a heretic or like later Nestorians. Um, okay. and, and so like, yeah, so most scholars read Nestorius and say, yeah, he had some real real concerns and part of what the whole you know part of what doing this work does 
is I think it is supposed to help us understand how we get to the settlement that we get. And actually, if you read, it's funny if you read the the introductory comments and the letters between Cyril and Nestorius, they both talk about two different things: one, wanting to have peace with each other, um, and two, wanting to make sure that there is broad agreement among all believers on the topic. So what mm-hmm. they're trying to do is they want to have peace with one another. They're actually not nearly as hostile as they are to Arius, if you'll notice. Like one thing that changes is in the tenor of these conversations is it's not it, it doesn't have the same feel as the contra eunomius uh, that we read from Basil or something. Um, I think that the rhetoric is way t- toned down. Yeah. Um, in, in my reading, I, I do feel like Nestorius is a little harsher than Cyril, and maybe that's maybe Cyril being a little uh, uh, what's patronizing but mm. uh it nestorius had moments when i'm like oh he's digging a bit nothing like against eunomius or against the um although leo also against eutyches similarly he he kind of crept on eutyches pretty pretty hard yeah it's but not, not as, as bad not nearly as bad as against the arians it's not as bad it's definitely like my brother in christ who i love and only through the love of christ do i write to you you know it's very like there's that business, but then it's like but stop being an idiot my brother and it's very (laughs) backhanded like i i love these bits where he just says stuff like you've been led astray by those who teach at your churches and the devil incarnate (laughs) (laughs) it's understandable that you would that you would misunderstand and then and then Cyril's right back, like, well, if only you would come to, te- you know, I'm sure as soon as you read this, you'll come to teach the things by which we're all teaching here. And like, so they're both acting like it's so obvious that what they think is true, that the other person will just clearly agree with them. So in that way, I feel like they're like backhandedly um, just, you know, in a way insulting each other. But it's it's kind of, it is definitely more like, it reads like a, 18th century British people insulting each other or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so one thing just to kind of get all, all of their positions on the table, I, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll be curious your responses to this as well. But when I read Nestorius similar to Theodore and to some extent, Theodoret, so all of these people have been associated with what's called the Antiochene school, right? So the Antiochene school are, are, are people broadly considered who have kind of similar reflexes when it comes to reading the scriptures. Uh, they're, they're, they're hesitant uh, to do much quote unquote allegorical reading. Um, I think theater, uh, I think theater of Cyrus, who's the latest of the three. So historically we could talk about Theodore of Mopsuestia, Nestorius who we're reading right now. And then later is Theodoret who comes along after Nestorius Um but all three of them, and to some extent, I think they have an inclination that's very philosophical. That what, What's actually quite interesting about all three of them is they, they clearly lay out what they're worried about. What does it mean for the impassable God, that is the God who cannot suffer, to suffer? Um, and what, you know, and so what I feel like when I'm reading them, they lay out the terms of the debate really well. Um, and they're like, hey, look, this is a weird thing for us to say. God died? Uh, okay, well, we can't say that properly speaking because what we mean by God would mean that that thing cannot die. Um, and and so I, like when I read the Antiochenes, I sort of like reading them because I do feel like there's a um, – there's a um, 
a precision about language and they'll set out the problems. But what's also interesting is both of the, the groups, uh, the, the Cerulians and, and the, what are later called the Alexandrians, uh, they all are um, – the, the Alexandrians and the Antiochians both assume what we might call Greek philosophical concepts about God. They all assume that God is impassable, that God is simple, uh, that God is um, – the you know like sort of um whatever god's nature is not the same thing as human nature um and so you know so there are not necessarily analogs like pro and you know the thing that most contemporary people won't like is that god doesn't have emotions uh in the same sense that we do people hate that in 20th century theology um but but you know they all assume a basic idea about what the what what divine is and what human is and they're trying to work towards a center um about how we can talk about one thing unify like unit having a unity in what is essentially different mm-hmm. um it is a, it is and, and almost exclusively different whatever it is to be human is just not what it is to be divine and almost vice versa um and, and i mean that may be overstating it to some extent but that and so like the Antiochians, I'm I follow right along with them as they're trying to say, so that's why this that that's why that Nestorius doesn't like the phrase Theotokos, the God bearer, because he's like, well, that sounds too much like uh the Jesus of Nazareth is God, when we know properly speaking, Jesus of Nazareth is the human, uh like uh the human instantiation of the word. Um and is is and so we don't we want to be careful because Theotokos is misleading, and then he he actually brings up the phrase Anthropokos, the uh, like the the one who bears the human. Um, so it's it, for him those are two poles of the of of the problem. So let's use Christotokos as his solution. She's the Christ bearer because that seems to say let's get them both under one umbrella and say that Mary bears that. Um, and so I do sort of have a sympathy for the Antiochians in that way. It's like, yeah, that seems like a better settlement. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I um, I brought this up before, and I mean, we've we've actually talked about this a few times. So I don't know that we need to rehash it, but of course, it's been a long time. But I've always, well, well, I just don't feel any compulsion to embrace uh, the Greek metaphysics surrounding God, uh, and so. When like so, this idea of the impassibility of God, I I don't feel. I mean, obviously, I'm trying to root my my metaphysic, I guess, when it comes to the nature of God, uh, in the Bible, right, in the scriptures, and at least in the Hebrew vision of God, I don't see any reason to assume that God is impassable. Like the Bible seems to speak of Him as having as, as being very passable like as having emotions and feelings and passions and and all of that kind of stuff now i have no doubt that that is different as it relates to god from as it relates to man and that we just have feelings uh and emotions and sufferings and all that kind of stuff almost by analogy right there's an analogy between the two i have no problem saying that but i just don't see why i need to accept that that greek understanding same thing with the simplicity of god i've never I'm not, by the way, I'm not trying to say that there isn't a version of those two doctrines that I would be okay with. I'm just saying I've never received what I took to be a really good argument, I thought, um, for why those two things need to be true. Certainly not from the Bible. Um, And 
I, I don't feel like I have from philosophy either that I can think of. I mean, other than it's just this assumption in the backdrop of Greek thinking, which, and so Chad, I appreciate you pointing that out because, you know, when, when I think was, it, I mean, both Nestorius and Cyril camped on that idea of the passibility of God, right? And the I was impassibility like, oh, of God. <laughs> or the, sorry, the, well, that's, I guess, just like the question of it, the yeah, impassibility yeah. of God. Um, I was like checked out, man. I was like, I don't, I don't. So I'm glad you brought that up because at the time I was like, what does this have to do with anything? But you made that really clear there. But it just makes me go, oh, that's why probably I'm not as passionate about some of these arguments as they are. I mean, I was, the one thing that I can say did set wrong with me is the way Nestorius and Theodore speak of Christ and the Logos like so much as if they were two different beings or persons yeah, to try to keep consistent word <laughs> two different persons that just like was unsettling to me in the way that they talked uh but other than that man i'm i have sympathies to everybody involved to apollinarius to nestorius aside from that one thing just that and to cyril of course cyril does state it in the way that makes most sense to me so i felt kind of vindicated as a chalcedonian you know christian but um but even Eutyches, even and even though I didn't read any Eutyches, just reading Leo's characterizations, I'm like, I can see how you could take that a different way from how you're, you know, describing it, you know. But anyway, yeah, I, um, I similarly had, I yeah, I had a lot of sympathy basically, and I there were particular parts um, that were interesting. We'll have to, by the way, we'll have to talk about simplicity later because. There is an argument. There's like a real quick one, but well, why don't we do it if it's quick? Especially. Well, it's it's super quick. The argument for simplicity is just that if you deny simplicity, then God does have parts. That's just the definition of simplicity. But then if God has parts, those things would be more fundamental than God, since God depends on those parts. So then those parts are the things that really exist. They're at the base level of reality, and God's like depends on them. And so yeah. some people think that. That is like consistent, at least with like those things existing and God not existing. I, i.e., God doesn't exist necessarily, or isn't metaphysically ultimate, or isn't the ultimate expression of being, or mm-hmm. which definitely are very Greek conceptions. Though you could see being rooted in the very like "I am that I am" language. Yeah. In the, yeah. Anyway, can I respond real quick to that? Just out of yeah, yeah, I, I get that. Um, I think my problem, and so it's not so much that I deny his simplicity per se. Rather, when it comes to simplicity as opposed to impassibility, I just think it's a the wrong category. God is spiritual, and it strikes me that when we think of parts, we're thinking of material things. So I don't. Maybe spiritual things have parts. I don't know. Yeah. I just don't know anything about the substance that makes up spiritual things. Uh, parts are physical things, which I do understand. And so it's like to say that God is simple for me is just a category failure because that's speaking in terms of physical things. So it's like, yeah, like when we think of like the the atomic structure that makes up the universe, right? When we discovered atoms, people thought, because atom, of course, comes from that Greek word for unbreakable unit. People thought, oh, that's the smallest part. But then, of course, we go deeper and we find that the, the it all goes so much further down. Yeah. But the assumption I think still is that there is a smallest unit, that there is a, a bottom level. I could be wrong on that, but I've well, always. Yeah. It kind of differs now because now it's like sort of 
waves and forces seem to be. Yeah, yeah, which makes uh, it very, well, very different. But the part, the, the part would be, is God separable from his attributes or something like that? So, like, the yeah. parts could be things like, you know, if we say God is love, uh, is that saying something about the unchanging characteristic of God and God's self? God just is love uh, versus God shows love or God has love or God, you know. And, and so we want to be able to say something about the very – uh, uh, nature of divinity uh, such that what we mean by God is love and that, that there's no time when God isn't love. God is always love. So the parts isn't necessarily the, the different Legos in the Lego set. Um, it's the, the part of his at like of these essential attributes um, oh, yeah. and things like that. In the metaphysics well, of Muriel, like Muriology and in, in metaphysics, there, there is a distinction between proper parts and parts. So like there, cause there's a, there's a dumb way in which here, I'm going to hold up a M&M cause I have an M&M on me. Like there's a dumb way in which the M&M is its own, is a part of the whole M&M. Like the whole is a part of the whole. And so there's the way in which we, you could talk about parts that way. And then, so in Muriology, they want to distinguish between that and proper parts. Like there's the shell of the M&M and there's the core of the M&M such that you don't have an M&M unless you have both. And then that's what, all you have to technically deny if you're going to deny God has parts, is God can't have proper parts in that way, right? Whatever whatever that would mean. Yeah, even in a spiritual way. Just can't have yeah. two things such that God really depends on those things. But then, yeah, then certainly you can talk. Other than that, of course, that's consistent with you being able to talk about God having something like parts it's just it's more it really is just being more like metaphysically i don't know what is it it's like gatekeeping of words in classical theism because of the metaphysics and the way it's used well, and, <laughs> well but think about they, it's a real concern in the sense that if you don't want God to be mutable, like think about the change, like yeah. what would it mean when God changes? If God changes in who God is, uh, I mean, for Augustine, then the whole edifice falls apart, right? So like for Augustine, uh, if God isn't always love, um, <laughs> then then there's, there's no firmness, there's no solidity, there's no, uh, there's, there's nothing permanent. Um, it's yeah. all flux. Yeah, the, lo um, the logical yeah, so cohesion of like the immutability, the simplicity, and the eternality, the timelessness, those kind of all go together as well. Yeah. But I, so these things all still go back to, again, and this is probably always going to be the case when it comes to any kind of discussion about God, but they come down to, uh, of course, these definitions of these words, which we do not define very well and are not, probably don't have very clear concepts of, but um, because when I, when we talk about the attributes again of God or something like that, for instance, things like his omnipresence or his omniscience or any of those things, um, like in terms of the normal way that I think of those words, I don't think of those kinds of things as parts. Like you could, yeah. you could stipulate in a theological definition that those are parts, but it's like, if I say, oh, I know Bill's really friendly, his friendliness isn't a part of him. That's a, like not a part in the proper sense. Like when I think of a part... Yeah. I think of a physical unit of something. And so to, so now, now, so here's the thing, like Trevor, you said a second ago, and I wish I could remember the exact context, something about like, even a spiritual thing um, has but, to be, well, has to, has to be simple. But the reality is what I'm saying is, is I don't yeah. know what it means for a spiritual thing to have a part. 
I'm not no, saying no, no, I no. can't. I'm yeah. just saying I can't even know what it means. What I was saying was even spiritual things you could think have proper parts. Like even if you, even if I can't wrap my picture it, so to speak, like you could think of an angel. Um, I don't know. This, I mean, this is hard, but you could basically think of, for example, two different things existing uh, that aren't necessarily physical. Like, what's a good example? Of that? Like, if you, for, how about this? If you're like an, if you're a Platonist about numbers, and you think like evenness needs to exist, and and something else needs to exist in order is that to that a part? Do I still wouldn't think of that as a part. It, well, then you could say that they're like proper parts of the thing, but yeah, that's that's just you the way. Could. It's that doesn't strike me as the normal meaning of the word. No, it's so, not. That's what I'm trying to say. This is in Mariology how it's used, and this is what's yeah. denied of God. That's that's yeah, what I, was I just to clarify. I mean, I just like you know, <laughs> like the uh, I think the etymology the etymology of the word pars and participio is something that that like you know the the Latin roots of these words are not re- like they're they're not thinking in in sort of the the english way that we use part yeah um yeah. and and so my that was kind of where i was trying to go like par is okay. the thing that participates in the being of god it, yeah. it just is the this this gets so much worse though if you start expanding the word part further because we because at, at that point now then like you're just like they're just wrong if they say god is simple so it's like if you say that God doesn't have qualities, that clearly is false, right? So it's like the only way that it can make any sense to me at all to say that God doesn't have parts no, no, no. is to use the word part in the way that we use it. If you start including things like omnipotence or omnipresence or emote, no. like things like that, that then renders everything nonsense. Well, the, yeah, no, they don't want to deny qualities, though I guess technically there's a way in which they'll say we don't actually attribute God quality or we don't. As you said earlier, we only do it analogically. We don't do it, um, I guess, in some literal sense. Like, we're, God's loving, not like literally the way we are, it's somehow in some better way or some more maximal way. But you could still say God is love. But no, 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 no. So it's extending the use, but not to mean no qualities. It's extending the use to be things that are required for something's existence, something like that. That's That's... That's like the base level. That's all you need to understand. Um, yeah, it's. I don't I, know. It just still stri- it just strikes me as a relatively meaningless assertion in general. That's, yeah. I, I well, could be wrong. Like, like if you're, it's, it's not that I'm saying God isn't simple. What I'm saying is, is that we're applying a distinction that makes no sense. So it's like saying he has parts when I have no comprehension of what it could mean to have spiritual parts. Or spiritual simplicity. Like, neither one of those things are concepts. Those concepts only make sense to me in a physical world. So, well, uh, I don't know what I else to say describe, I could describe, well, we, we just, this is a rabbit hole. There, I yeah. could describe lots of non-physical things that maybe you would have a better idea of it having a part. But, well, how, I'd, be love, I'd love to, to think about it or, or hear about it. I mean, I'm yeah. open to considering it. Just we like the probably, evenness well, thing didn't work or the qualities well, don't work. I don't know what those would be. You might think, but like, this, well, yeah. I, I, I was, I'll, I was I'll, I'll, think of shapes, but anyway, we'll we'll move on. Yeah, well, like that's good too. But yeah. so, well, all of this to say, I think, I mean, it does. Uh, so this just went way too far down the rabbit hole. But <laughs> 
except for it, it, it does and it doesn't, right? So you have to understand what the terms of the debate are for it to make any sense at all. Yeah. Um, and so if the terms of the debate are we, we take God to be this impassable thing, um, we take – and also just interestingly, we take strict, scripture to be true. Um, so no, one thing to uh, – one other thing to notice about every single one of these people is every paragraph is laced with scriptural referent. So whatever they're doing, they're doing it entirely as an exercise in reading what the scriptures say about uh, Jesus and about God, right? So they're constantly referring to scripture to, 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 to do this. Um, now we can, we can say that they're, you know, they're importing Greek concepts into their scriptural reading. That's not what they take themselves to be doing though. I will say that. Um, and, and so, um, yeah. And actually, interestingly, both Cyril and Nestorius will critique uh, thinkers for being too Greek, which is one of my other favorite things. Uh, so uh, I, I think there's a, a paper or a book to be had there. What does it mean to call something Greek? Um, and, and which is to say, because in the 21st century, right, we have like a lot of people who are uh, or well, actually starting in the 19th century with von Harnack and other Germans. They're very concerned that Christianity was Hellenized, uh, that Christianity was too Greek. But so are the church fathers. Um, and, and so now they're the ones who are falling prey to this critique uh, in, in from, from a German point of view. But, but that's like they, they are trying to read scripture, right? So they are trying to say how we read scripture, how do we make sense of who this person is? Um, and I, but I will say that the question of analogy, um, the question of how do we speak about things divine is the, I mean, in some sense, that is the fundamental theological question, right? So, because we all take the scriptures to be true in some sense, um, but if God, if God is a rock, as the Psalms say, uh, well, we don't think that God is literally a rock. Um, if God has an arm, well, you know, my the right, my right arm. Do we think that God literally has an arm? You know, uh, is this you know? And so this is like there, there's that question. Uh, but then when we say God is love. Uh, we want to say that that's something, you know, true in a different sense than saying that God is a rock. Um, and so all of these questions about how we understand the nature of what it means to, to or the nature of divinity uh, from the scriptures, we're going to have to use some kind of analogical language. At some point, we're going to have to say, well, we don't literally mean God is a rock. Um and and so the same goes for when Jesus says, God, I God, the Father is in me, and I and the Father are one. Does he mean one as in there's no difference? Um, or does he mean one in some union that preserves the distinction but shows some unity? Uh, and so these are like these are this is just replete throughout all of these conversations is how does Jesus say I and the Father are one, maybe? Um, and what does that mean? Um, and how is it not in, 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 in ident like an equality of identity or something like, well, those are identically the same thing with no remainder. Yeah. Um, I would, I, I would, I would real quick, just say a couple things too, to these points. One, um, just so you guys know, I do know that these guys are using the scripture as the foundation of their, of their faith. I'm not under the impression that they're like, quoting Plato as an authority or something like that. Um, they are using the Bible where I think they're wrong or confused. I think they're using the scripture wrongly. Like, like, and that's the way that this is always going to work. Like if you're debating somebody and you disagree theologically with them, 
fundamentally, that's probably going to mean that you think they're reading the scripture incorrectly. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was Nestorius. It must have been Nestorius. His talk about the temple and like all that stuff is arguments from like we're quoting where Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it. His arguments about that, in my mind, were the weakest part of his entire essay. Like everything else was interesting except for that. Like I was like, this is just one of the worst takes I could possibly imagine on this particular passage. Um, and that's as a guy who's somewhat sympathetic to certain things he was saying, you know. So I'm not saying he doesn't think that he's reading the scriptures, you know, faithfully, because I think he is. And I think that that is the priority. Also, it doesn't strike me as odd that he or these or Cyril or anybody would criticize Greek culture, right? That's the problem we all have. I am incredibly critical of 21st century American culture all the time. In fact, I feel like I just want to do that. Like I only want to criticize our culture, but that doesn't change the fact that I am a product of our culture and that I think in our, in our cultural terms and that there are ways in which I can't escape that. Like even no matter how like gifted I am at analysis and breaking things down and, and I still am going to somewhat be enslaved to that. So that's all I was saying with those guys. I wasn't trying to like go beyond, like make a, a really strong claim about them disliking scripture or not trusting it or relying on something else. I'm always fascinated by, by, by their, by these guys commitment to scripture. And even if I think that their interpretations of it are weird or even dumb, I'm always fascinated by their interpretations of it. It strikes me as like, especially if it's one that I'd never considered before, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. No, I didn't get that impression. I, well, and one, I, yeah, sorry, I was just speaking generally. I wasn't necessarily implying to Tom that you didn't recognize that they read scripture, but <laughs> oh, uh, um, as 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 a so that was a general point, and it's also one that I think people miss uh, yeah. is sure. it, that where what their assumptions are, and literally it's the assumptions of <laughs> of both sides, um, yeah. Yeah. and um, but actually it. it it is fascinating in terms of if we think again of the trajectories of 2000 years of Christian theology, uh, which is a lot of 20th century uh, theology has collapsed. The communicatio idiomatum has tried to say uh, that there is um, that, that, that is the, the cl- so, uh, well, actually we haven't defined that term in this podcast. So as a result, essentially of the hypostatic union, how do we say we can say, uh, we can predicate or yeah, we can predicate of Jesus that God died on the cross, right? We can say God died on the cross. Well, what do we mean? Did Jesus die qua God on the cross? Like in, in, in who Christ is as God? No. <laughs> uh, Jesus died in who Jesus is as uh, human. Now what the communicatio idiomatum does is it makes that predication possible across these things, but it also it also metaphysically binds them um, so that to some extent by this death on the cross and by the resurrection, all of humanity, all of human nature uh, begins to participate in divinity. Um, there is a union of uh, divinity with humanity to make possible our return and our uh, to our divine source um, and, and, and make that an eternal possibility. Um, so what we have is more than just a possibility of naming and speaking, uh, but a possibility of divinization, um, of, of eternity. Um, how do we make a mortal creature immortal? Jesus Christ <laughs> um, yeah. and the hypostatic union. 
um, and the communication of properties. Um, and so uh, the communicatio idiomatum. Um, and so what makes, so, so what Cyril is doing here is more than just a semantic uh, possibility, uh, but in the Greek tradition and in the great tradition of theological reflection, it is what makes possible um, uh, eternity with God. Um, Can I, really quickly, just thinking about what you just said about that a little bit ago about uh, when when Jesus died on the cross, did God die? No, clearly. And that's that's certainly what Cyril would say. It's certainly what Nestorius would say. And I think, I mean, this is where this is where theology becomes interesting to me, because I, I think I agree with that, but I'm open to considering it. And it was while you were talking to this, this thought popped into my head. So I'm just throwing this out here. I'm not saying this is true. I am, like I said, I just read the Council of Chalcedon, or the I should say the definition of Chalcedon, and I was like, yeah, like yeah, baby, I'm on, I'm on board with the definition of Chalcedon. I'm still Orthodox. Awesome. I loved Cyril best out of all the stuff we read. But um, getting back to Apollinarius, I want you to consider this. So Apollinarius is the definition. You have Jesus the man. He has a body. He does not have a rational soul. God, the Logos, is the rational soul of Jesus, the man. Jesus, the man, hangs on the cross, and God, the Logos, the, which is the rational soul of Jesus, is taken out of him and presumably descends into hell or Hades or whatever, right? I mean, that's part of our, you know, part of, I mean, you have those passages in scripture, you know, Second Peter, where he talks about going to the spirits in prison, you know, that kind of a thing. So here's... One last thing that that I noticed that Nestorius doesn't just define, Cyril doesn't define, what is death? What does death mean? And I just, as I'm sitting here, I immediately thought of Socrates. Well, and this is Plato, but, you know, through the, through the voice of Socrates. In the Phaedo, Socrates defines death as a separation of rational soul from body. So if death just is that, and if Jesus, his rational soul is... God the Logos, wouldn't it be proper to say that God the Logos, the being the rational soul of the body Jesus, being ripped from Jesus, would in fact be death, and thus God would in fact die? So I <laughs> thought way, people, I Trevor thought about excited. this a lot. So <laughs> I just because this is from what I can tell, this is the this is like the two different views we have to take here. So if when we die since you are properly a body soul composite you're not just one and the other you're both by the way there's a something immaterial being apart uh, but you're you're both right you're both things you're not just one thing so when you die and you and the resurrection hasn't occurred yet it's not literally you that's another weirdness right so when you're in yeah. heaven we we can say oh it's the soul of peter or whatever but we're referring to it in the kind of way that like yeah we point at like the leaf of a tree that's an oak leaf but like it's it's not literally you it's 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 part of you technically and then when you when you, the resurrection happens it'll be that's you that's who you are because you are essentially human so the only difference between apollinaris and what ends up being, I guess, orthodoxy in the end, from what I could tell, well, not the only difference, but the difference in the death part would be that properly, right, the second person ascends, like that's what, because that just was the rational soul too, but it's just that, that's all that ascends. 
is the second person of the Trinity. And then if you affirm the hypostatic union, you got to say an, a rational soul that, you know, like Descartes' sort of soul of a human that's now mystically union with word. I don't know which words I'm allowed to use here. Let me correct you. Descends. Remember when he ascends, yeah. he's already resurrected. That's he's already true. Resurrected. That's true. Yeah. Only descends. Fair. Yeah, good, good point. Good point. And that that that's what descends. And then as far as I could tell, as long as you're willing to just admit of two natures, or at least come up with a way in which Apollinaris has two natures, that's the, to me, that's the only difference, and I don't really get why one's more important than the other <laughs> like i get that if it's like oh there's only one nature here then i kind of get the issue it's like okay so we've got this whole redemption story and and um i actually really liked funnily enough nestorius has that great metaphor of like picking something when you pick somebody up you have to hold on to them and that's the only way to like uh sort of help them up and so in the same way divinity reached down and picked up humanity um that had fallen I like that little metaphor. It was nice. And so I get that. So we need that. But then I, I, I just still don't see if, if people are just a soul body composite. I don't know why it's not two natures still. You have a whole human being. Just the rational soul happens to be God. I, I still haven't. But then again, that's the thing. It, me not being able to see it doesn't mean it's not true. I just can't think my way through that one as to why and maybe that's why William Lane Craig I imagine ended up coming to his view as well so I don't know maybe we're both wrong but I I can't well yeah so separate we could read some Severus of Antioch uh so we could read some uh sort of um post-Chalcedonian theologians who continue to debate this thing who continue to talk about God dying um, in a way that actually sort of sounds like Jürgen Moltmann and so the crucified God and these sorts of things. Um, so there are there are continued uh, questions over this. Actually, Maximus will say that uh, Jordan was just talking to me a little bit about this, but about the nomic will. Uh, so it's like what what so r rather than going for an Apollinarian solution, the difference between what God is and what humans are as we experience it is that Christ doesn't have a nomic will. Christ doesn't have a, 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 a will that has to deal with the possibility of failure sort of, or something. I, I can you know, it's, it's a, but anyway, there's a way to sort of say that what God has is not precisely what humanity has and some of these other things. Um, but I, I mean, the only problem with the, I mean, I don't know. In my, in my mind, Apollinaris is you, you can't go for that, but but it's it's not going to be at a question of descent. My problem is already from the beginning, which just is whatever it is. What Christ has not assumed cannot be saved. So it, though, so that means human minds are not saved. Um, and and so but, if human minds, what's that? But but really though, like because it is human in the sense that it's a mind. In a body that oper that's operates a body. I don't it know why it's not. Soul. Yeah, I don't know why it's not. Yeah, a human so, mind. so, 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 so then the assertion is that Jesus didn't have a separate rational soul from God the Logos. Not that so, there wasn't a rational soul. 
so my my understanding of Apollinaris is that he 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 sort of presses the tripartite nature. Not so part of what Trevor was basing all of this on was a dual um, yeah, understanding of humanity. So part of what we have is a confusion over what does it mean to be human. So he was talking about a soul body composite. Uh, Apollinaris is proposing a tripartite view of all of this where the mind is one other thing um that of what it is to be human so Fair, to yeah. some ex to some extent your whole explanation doesn't quite work no um, mine's, when, more, when you... mine's more neo apollo it's not quite literally yeah yeah but also we point. don't understand what the spirit is on apollo on that tripartite distinction that's, <laughs> that's one of the things i'm like i don't know what it is if it's not the interior person Right. Yeah. Well, so and we, we don't have a lot of Apollinaris's writings, so it could be really hard yeah. to reconstruct exactly what he thought. It'd um, be nice to, well, tra Chad, do we have other writers in the church during this period who wrote about the, a tripartite nature? Because like I like like in like Socrates, again, Plato writing through Socrates, his description of it, I think in the symposium, I think that's where. He talks about the horse, the charioteer, and the the. I thought uh, it was the fate, yeah. Okay, it could be the fate but I thought it was the symposium. But in any case, okay. he gives a description that does make sense. But for him, the spirit is literally just the the like the oomph that you have as a human being. If you're morose and like, I mean, it would almost be akin to when uh, when people talk about the different uh, kinds of uh, you know temperaments that people have, like phlegmatic versus i can't remember the whole breakdown but you guys i think sang yeah. sanguine versus phlegmatic all that it's Bilious. like that kind of thing. yeah mm -hmm. yeah a spirited person is like very up and going and like like tigger in in winnie the pooh and an unspirited person or a weak spirited person would be somebody like eeyore or somebody like that you know so that that seems to be plato's definition of it so i've always been curious how christians uh especially you know, in the first few centuries to find it. Do we have anybody who does? I mean, so Cyril just, Cyril does in these debates, um, right? So, I mean, Cyril talks about the soul and the body as part of the way that he, uh, you know, as, as part of the unity that he's talking about here. So Cyril seems to imagine a, a, a dual um, part, yeah. like, you know, not tripart, a dual part. No, what I'm um, so he, for is just a definition of spirit. Like, is there anybody who might write? Oh, that? well, so yeah, I mean, well, it's hard, right? Uh, let's see, because to some extent, it's not always clear the difference between sukike and pneumatike. Like, a, yeah. like, and so yeah. I mean, Paul, Paul, and himself, uh, you know, where, like, you know, well, the one thing I, I don't know, I've done some reading on the the natural philosophers Galen and Hippocrates. Um, who who really have a like the 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 pneumatike the pneuma the the pneuma the the pneumatic thing the 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 spirit like where we get our, where we normally get our word for spirit, um, well actually in Latin just was spiritus uh, is something in the air right it's our life force it's the thing that we breathe in and breathe out, and you still so that's a separate like so it's actually more physical to some extent um, than huh. than what we think about as the soul. Um, the soul is your seat of mind, is your yeah. seat of psychology. Uh, your body is the the thing that your soul kind of moves. But in order for your body to have sort of dunamis, to have power, to have ability, it needs to breathe in 
the pneuma, uh, the the spirit. Um, and so the spirit is what animates you. And incidentally, when you have sex, uh, it is your pneuma that goes out um, in and into the woman uh, to create a new person. Um, oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, oh, wait. So then soul. So in like later uh, metaphysics. So when they talk about just the difference between an animal and a rational soul. That is essentially the difference between spirit and soul. In or... some cases, yes. Uh, in some cases, no. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. Weird. <laughs> so it's, it's even worse. <laughs> yeah. Because I got my head around animal and rational soul. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, just add a couple properties to an animal and you get a fully rational person. Yeah. And, rational. Yeah, so it's not – yeah. Okay. And it – yeah the sim the simple thing like well yeah in latin it's hard because yeah in latin we have spiritus animus anima mens uh <laughs> and so the sort of animal is anima where we get animal animus is maybe somewhere in between uh spiritus animus and mens uh <laughs> and yeah so in latin there's just sort of too many terms uh to keep straight where no one seems to have a pre a very clear uh like uh, anthropology we could say um in in the ancient sense uh and i i would have to i i don't know i'd have to think about who who does it sort of independent so the other hard part is is what you really want what tom i think is really asking for which would be the most interesting was independent of debates about the nature of god um yeah. <laughs> what are we yeah, um, yeah. Oh. that just doesn't really exist does it i mean that that i, I know of no but i i'd have to i could think about it and yeah. oh like yeah, Vince, some comes to mind we should talk about leo the first and eutyches and I guess Flavian in a sense, because I guess Leo's writing to Flavian. Yeah, um, we're we're yeah. Um, I mean, so Eutyches is a heretic, like is considered a heretic. Yeah, fairly. Well, through, Leo's through. condemning him in that in that writing as a heretic. Eutyches is like, by the way, like um, uh, oh crud, what is his name? The guy, the mono. Physite that we've been talking about. I just blanked it all of a sudden. Oh, well, Eutyches Apollinarius. Huh? Apollinarius, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Eutyches is a monophysite, kind of like Apollinarius. And I don't know. I mean, this this book you gave us, Chad, doesn't have any of Eutyches's writing. Do you know if if Eutyches's writing is extant at all? Do we have anything from him, or is is? I we, mean, I'm sure that I'm sure there are some more fragments than this. Uh, that yeah. you, but you could gather, but yeah, not much substantial. Not much, because that's one thing that makes it tough. Leo is clearly, clearly doesn't like Eutyches, so he's stating it in kind of the worst possible way. Because there were even as Leo's describing things, there are parts where I'm like, man, I could see where Eutyches might be going here if I just actually heard his arguments. Because Leo's, so Leo's big problem with Eutyches is that Eutyches is describing jesus as a third kind of being he's neither deified he's neither deity maybe i don't know what would be the best way to say it you can either say he's neither deity nor human he's a mixture of both or you could say he's both deity and human but it's through this new nature this this mixture of both which in a sense that's kind of like apollinarius in the sense that apollinarius has the the physical body 
the spirit, but then God inhabits the rational soul. So there's this combination of the two of those. Although I don't think Apollinarians would use the word like a third substance, because that's what Leo seems to be accusing Eutyches of. I don't know that Eutyches actually uses the phrase third substance, but that does seem to be what what Leo's accusing him of. Um, but I kind of was even a little sympathetic thinking about Eutyches, kind of like, hey, if we, it, like, like, I think what he's doing is he's just conceptually saying, look, when we see Jesus in our minds, we see God and man. Not like, he's, it's not like, it's like he's, he's not distinguishing. He's saying we don't see two different beings. That's kind of how I gathered, but it's hard to say without actually reading his stuff. Yeah. I think, um, I think go ahead, I'm Trevor. I, I was just going to say, I think I'm biased because I do have a, a view of personhood and of like dualism that I think is most plausible. And that's why I'm like, oh, who best fits my own view already, <laughs> of course, is, is often my motivation. And I'm sitting here and I'm going, man, I could really have a type of Apollinarian view that would fit real yeah. well into my own view already. Well, I'm not sure that Eutyches' view is all that radically different from Apollinarius. That's why it'd be helpful if I'd actually read Eutyches, because I'd need to see in what way is the is Jesus the combination of these two things. Because mm-hmm. it's just not really laid out by Leo well enough, I don't think, you know. Yeah. But they're both, both Apollinarius and Eutyches are categorized as monophysites, right? Monophysite, yeah. by the way, meaning one physis, one nature. Right. Yeah. So yeah. as opposed to a dual nature like Nestorius or like the like Orthodox Christianity, which says that there's that Jesus has two distinct natures, the monophysites say he has one nature. Yeah. Um, and that in some sense, that one nature is a combination of the divine and the human. But like with Apollinarius, we know very concretely what he means by that. Whereas with Eutyches, it's some kind of an admixture that I'm not sure I understand. Yeah, I could yeah. I could see one version of uh, monophysitism even being worse in a way because if your if your version of monophysitism is there's just no human there, there's only a divine thing there because you're trying to be like really respectful to the divine, that yeah. seems wrong. It's like no, we need yeah. to affirm the humanity of Christ. But if you're a type of monophysitism that's trying to say yeah, well it is like kind of like a human and because it's got like literally everything you need to be a human, but it is also God, so it's like. It's just its own unique thing. That's why it's monophysitism. Then I'm like, oh, I am. I at least get that. And then at yeah. that point, it just seems like sheer how intuitive you find the metaphysics or how clean yeah. the metaphysics are. I don't really yeah. otherwise wouldn't really care. Um, and very well might be splitting hairs in terms of the na- the like how you use those terms, usis yeah. or you know, uh, us, uh, usia. Sorry, usia or hypostasis or. Uh, prosopone or whatever terms you're using are going to be key to how you interpret that. Cause that's what I was getting when I was reading Leo. I'm like, Oh my gosh, as I read this, I could see Eutyches as saying things that are not fundamentally all that different from Cyril. Right. It's like, he's a, cause he's not saying that there is no deity or humanity there at all. He is saying something which brings in all of humanity and brings in all of deity. It's just about how those, interchange or interact 